0: On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Genevieve Wheeler. Genevieve's writing has appeared in Cosmopolitan, Vice, Teen Vogue, Elite Daily, Pop Sugar, and more. She holds a master's in marketing communications from the University of Westminster in London and a BS in advertising from Boston University. Her debut novel, Adelaide, is out now. Uh, welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Genevieve. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, of course. This is your first book, but and it's not out yet cuz we we try to always talk to our authors before it's out. But you're already getting so much buzz. How are you feeling? A book of the month, congratulations. That's huge. How are you feeling as this as your actual pub day approaches?
1: It is a mix and I'm sure that I'm not the first person to say this, but it's a mix of nerves and excitement, really. I signed my deal about 2 years ago. So it's been a little bit of a longer lead time than average, I'd say. Yeah. Um, so there's this part of me that's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for it to get out in the world. And there's this other part of me because it's such a deeply personal story that's like, ah, am I sure about this? Like, people are going to be <laughs> yeah. reading some of my my deepest, darkest thoughts. And so that's just a, a scary a scary thing to kind of face. But nerves and excitement all around, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, then it, when it is so deeply personal, it must feel really good when it's being received so well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't you give us a little elevator pitch for Adelaide?
1: Sure. So Adelaide is the story of a twenty-something-year-old American in London who falls in love with this charming English man and kind of thinks like, right, this is the last puzzle piece I've been looking for in my life. Everything is gonna gonna fall into place now, and drama quickly ensues. And if it, it's not a smoother ride, as she'd anticipated, and it's really just a story about a relationship that I think a lot of people can relate to. And that like Adelaide puts Rory uses is, is the name of her boyfriend in the story. And she just puts him so far above herself and her own needs and loses a lot of herself along the way. And then has to kind of claw her way back to that sense of self and that sense of wholeness. And yeah. mm-hmm. so that's really the elevator pitch for the story.
0: Yeah. And the, and it's, the the title is her name for a reason. It really is her mm-hmm. story. It's it's wrapped up in Marie, um, but but it's really her story.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. funny because I I titled it Adelaide just kind of on a whim. It was the easiest thing I could name the word <laughs> out because I thought I'll, I'll figure <laughs> out the name later right now. I'll just call it Adelaide. And, mm-hmm. and I grew really attached to it over time because I think you're right. Like it is. It's her story above all else.
2: Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, but it didn't get changed. So yeah. you were, which it often does, as you know. So you obviously must have known it just that it was hers. And so we do want to talk about Adelaide, um, your protagonist. Your descriptions of her early on just immediately made me, f- her feel so familiar to me, like made me understand who she was. And she refers to herself as bookish and dark, which I love. Um, so I want to start with the bookish part. Uh, we'll get to the dark part. <laughs> Obviously, but you write, She had the words of Sylvia Plath, Louisa May Alcott, and Emily Dickinson tattooed across her wrists and hip bones. Illustrations from Antoine de Saint-Exupéry's The Little Prince were etched onto her ribcage, and a tiny peach sat on her left buttock in a cheeky nod to Call Me By Your Name. Books, words really, were her favorite things, her greatest love. And I just, I love that description. Um, On the next page, you, you sort of list or she lists for Rory her beloved books, like all her favorites, which of course are almost all of my favorites. So I immediately just felt like, oh, I know Adelaide or maybe I know Genevieve. I don't <laughs> know. So it just was a way for me to connect personally right away with her. And I always say to people, you know, I love words. I'm a lyrics person, you know, so... I know she is a fictional character, but you did say you poured a lot of yourself into her. So I want to talk about the development of Adelaide and sort of how much did you infuse into her consciously of yourself? Because, you know, I'm sure you love words. I'm sure that part might be true, but as an author, but, you know, sometimes we infuse things subconsciously, authors tell us. They didn't know what they were giving to their characters, but, but I'd love to hear more about Adelaide and your development of her.
1: Yeah, so I think you kind of, Hit the nail on the head. It, it's a lot of myself is, is poured in there. And I think it really started. I started writing Adelaide in first person. And I wrote the, the prologue in the first two chapters that way. And then switched into third and started writing it from there. And I was kind of like, right now I know where it's coming from. But because I started with that, I'm doing this, this is happening to me. I think automatically I, I put so much of myself into this character to start without even intending to necessarily. Obviously, the story is fiction, it's a novel, but I share a lot of myself with Adelaide, and Adelaide shares a lot with me, including these kind of bookish qualities. She's got all the same tattoos I have, and we read the same oh, really? thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love um, that. I um, love that. So I think it was really, it's such a cop-out, but it was the easiest thing for me to pull from was like, I know how I would feel in this situation, so I'm going to give that feeling to Adelaide. And yeah. I know how I would relate to these characters, and so... That's how I ended up pulling so much of myself and infusing so much of myself there. It was, I think it started out a little bit subconscious and then became a much more conscious choice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's what makes the story visceral is that it is coming from like a deep place in you. And even though she is not you and you are not her, it is, it has that visceral and an urgency to the writing to it. It's funny. I actually do the opposite, I start in third person and then switch to first.
1: Because really?
0: It, yeah. Because at first I'm like, who is this person? I don't know this person. And of course, I'm still doing the same thing that you're talking about in yeah. the third person. They're still really me. <laughs> but uh, and then when I feel like there's enough distance between me and the character, I can then switch to first person and go, okay, I know who. Who this person yeah. is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Congratulations yeah. on your book deal, by the oh, way. Thank I meant to say
0: that at the start. Oh, stop. No, thank that you so, so much. Thank you. I <laughs> like you, I have time, so I'm going through all the emotions.
1: I bet. I bet. Yeah. It's a wild ride. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I want to talk about Adelaide's darkness. Um, it's something I could relate to a, a lot in this in this book. Um, she she doesn't dream about her wedding, she dreams about her funeral. Same. I have my hand up right. (laughs) I not so much anymore, but I but I that was my go-to was was more that and the and just the curiosity, like who have I touched? Who you know, who have I made amends with? Who I just I don't know, I think it's a kind of a fascinating thing. But um she also says she's a person who feels too much and she constantly examines her damage and questions whether she can heal, which I think a lot of us do. Um you write in the book what if she was broken? What if she'd been broken as a teenager and now incapable of eliciting adoration, affection? What if her heart or whatever thing existed inside of a person that made them worthy of love was irrevocably damaged? Oh, I mean, what great, <laughs> what, what great questions, right? And how do you not question that for yourself when you're struggling? Um So I want to talk about this vulnerability, the honesty Um, in which you talk about Adelaide and her struggles. Um, Was that easy for you to write? Was that a challenge? Um, Anything you want to talk about on that journey?
1: It was definitely a mix between being easy and being challenging, kind of depending on the situation that I was writing about and the feelings I was pulling from. It's easy in the sense that, again, like Adelaide has so much of myself in her. And I've had those same feelings. I've, I've grappled with the same questions. And so writing that came very quickly yeah. and very easily, but at the same time, it's a challenging thing to kind of put pen to paper when you're when you're grappling with those sorts of questions and, and thinking those sorts of things about yourself, because it is such a, it's a shared reality, but it's something that I don't think we, we talk about that often is feeling a little bit like, am I even worthy of love? Like we mm-hmm. don't yeah. necessarily have those conversations super openly, yeah. um, but at the same time, I, so I like Adelaide, as we learned later on in the story, I'm bipolar. And I spent a lot of my life, I wasn't diagnosed until I was 26. And so I spent a lot of my life dealing with those ups and downs and not recognizing why I was dealing with them. Mm. And I wanted not to say that bipolar characters are often one-dimensional. I don't think that's true. But I think a lot of the portrayals we see of bipolar characters, especially women, capture the downs and the ups, but they don't capture the in-betweens. And they don't capture that kind of, the ways that you can be depressed without being depressing. Yeah. And so I wanted, I wanted to make sure that Adelaide really had that in her and she could still be a good friend and she could still be a cheerleader and she could still show up for work. And at the same time she would ride the tube and be thinking these horrible things about herself and all of those things could kind of happen in tandem.
0: Oh,
2: I love that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there is some, a, a little bit of, Buffer a little bit of safety in writing about something true to yourself in fiction because it's not you, and so exactly. there is some safety, yeah. to write about mm-hmm. things that might feel really scary to write about if you are actually writing about your own experience. But when you give right. them um, that distance, it's it can be uh, there can be a buffer there. I love, yeah,
1: that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's like a protective layer, kind of, yes, yes. yeah,
2: I yeah, like that, yeah, well. We said at the beginning, this is a it is a love story. It is an un, a story of unrequited love, um, really a toxic love, a love that, as you alluded to, sort of takes and takes from Adelaide until she barely recognizes herself. But it is, or it seems as if it is, ultimately a love, though, or a relationship that she needed to experience. Um, and you quote at the beginning of the novel the poet Mary Oliver. Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. Um and and then there was another passage. There are so many passages I could read from this book, honestly. I um but there was one where you were talking about this uh her feelings for Rory and and the relationship and you wrote she was always going to jump into this lake no matter how dark or dangerous it might turn out to be. She was too intrigued by its shimmering surface to even consider turning away. There was no world in which she wouldn't dive headfirst in love with Rory Hughes. This was the only way. Just so good. So I, I want to hear more about um, this idea you're exploring of finding the gifts in the box of darkness, or or how we often have to experience the darkness in order to to find the light.
1: Yeah. So I should I should say to start. We actually, that poem is what I initially planned to have in the epigraph and it's printed in the arts, but we didn't get permission from Mary Oliver's estate to use it. So it's not in the final edition. Ah, oh, um, okay. So you guys got, you guys got like the inside it's too. special, Because yes. I think it captures like <laughs> yeah. the theme of the story so perfectly and so yeah. poignantly. But no, I think, I think a lot of us, especially millennial women, especially in our 20s, a relationship where you think like i know this person is bad news from the start or from a very early point and you still think but i'm gonna do this anyway not because i mean in some cases i think it's because you feel like you can fix them in some cases it's because you're just like i already see how this is gonna go i already know that i'm gonna fall in love with them i already know that it's gonna end horribly and i'm still gonna take that risk and take that chance because i can't not yeah, yeah, And I've mm-hmm. definitely had relationships like that. Um, my therapist knows so well that I've had relationships like that. <laughs> um, and I've tried to talk myself out of it. And I've tried to say like, right, let's step away from this. Let's, let's think about this objectively. Let's think about this in the third person, so to speak. But you just, sometimes you just know that you have to make a mistake. Even if you know that it's a mistake while you're making it. And yeah. I think that was that was Adelaide's relationship with Rory from the from the offside. And that's been the case for a number of relationships I've had in my life. And again, I think one of the reasons that I also injected like Rory's POV in here is because I think sometimes in these stories of toxic yeah. love, if we get someone else's perspective, they're a little bit like a sociopath. And you don't necessarily see the the kind of raw edges of a person that make yeah. them behave the way that they do. Yeah. And you know, no one is formed in a vacuum. No one's behaviors are, are formed through isolated incidents. And so yeah, I wanted to capture that side of it as well. The fact that you can know you're hurting someone and still do it because you can't turn away. And you can know that you're going to get hurt by someone and still do it because again, you can't turn away.
0: Yeah. And it's usually more than one thing. It's not. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and also like you stay because there are good things or moments of good or whatever it is that make you stay. And then they're the ones that hurt and there's a tipping point. And just because it tips doesn't mean you know how to back away.
2: Exactly. Especially
0: yeah. when you know the potential and the exactly. the good stuff, right? Right.
2: Yeah. But I love, like you said, that I thought your structure of having us get the point of view to a Rory and sort of each of their pasts was really helpful for that. Because I think sometimes... Like you said, like then the I just would have looked at Rory as like like you said, like it did have very tell me lies vibes. By the way, which I love, which is I hope you'll take as the compliment. Yeah. I mean it as, and and when we talked about that, you know, it was Stephen when we learned, you know, some of his mommy issues and some of his damage. You know, it, did, it doesn't mean he isn't doing you know, it's not to justify anything of what the person is doing, but it it just to give you sort of the fuller picture of these are two damaged people really in in their own ways. And, and I I thought that was really, really effective having having both their past sort of outlined as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I But take Tell Me Lives is such a
0: compliment.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love Corolla, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and she blurbed the book, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. she did. She did. That's fantastic. So uh, Adelaide strongly believes in fate, as uh, as do I. (laughs) And she believes that Mm -hmm. her and Rory's fate was written in the stars. Right? It seems so intentional the way their lives had been woven together. Like some deity had spent centuries writing their story, meticulously planning the details and paving their paths. This is something that we talk about a lot on this podcast. And then you write later, Adelaide Williams had a theory. Well, she had many theories, but chief among them was the belief that people entered our lives when we needed them most. And She also says the same is true of books, which we also talk about a lot on this podcast. But fate and those things are true, right? They are just... There's truth behind them, but fate can be really tricky sometimes. I feel like the truth is sometimes confusing, right? Because sometimes we can be slightly off. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I've talked talked—I've talked about it probably with Tell Me Lies. I don't know when I've talked about it, but I dated a guy, my worst ex, the one I should definitely not be with, was born in the same small rural town as my husband. So it's like, oh, oh you think, God. like, whatever it is in my coding or my karma or whatever <laughs> whatever word you want to use that knew, like, oh, my soulmate. I mean, think about when Natasha Sislow on um, mm-hmm. All Signs, uh, point, all to signs Paris. point to Paris. Like, I-, I think there's probably something that was like, no, your soulmate is born here. And then also the worst thing that's going to happen to you is also born there too. And whatever, I have so many of those stories, I would bore you to death. But like, sometimes fate only makes sense in hindsight. And it doesn't mean that it's like, it doesn't always mean what we want it to mean, I guess. Is the is that something that you were exploring?
1: It's something that I was exploring without meaning to explore, I think. In these kinds of crazy coincidences and the meaning behind them. And I think that there's there's something to be said for that. But I also didn't realize that I was really writing a story about fate until my agent wrote the pitch for this book. And she said something, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something along the lines of like, we don't always realize what's fated until after the fact. Mm-hmm. Something about fate being put yeah. in perspective in strange ways. And yeah. And I think that's really true. You don't, and I think it, it doesn't click until the end of this story either. Like, fate can come in a number of forms and it can trick us into believing certain things before we. Yeah, we actually are able to see what what they mean and how the the meaning plays out. But if you're the type of person who doesn't believe in coincidences in that way, and and you know attributes meaning to these types of events, then it's really hard to have a relationship with a person that you mm. feel you're fated to be with, yeah. and not think, oh, but I'm meant to fight for this. Yeah. Like this yes. is what I'm supposed to be doing. So mm. again, I didn't even mean to explore it, but it just kind of happened because it's something that I've had to, to deal with myself.
2: Yeah. You didn't mean to explore it. We've heard that a lot. Let me tell you <laughs> from authors. And I was just thinking, we we just interviewed Curtis Sittenfeld and she said something about, we were talking about the writer's subconscious and she's like, it was quoting someone who said, if you want to know what an author's obsessions are, just just read their books. Yeah. And because they don't, you know, you're, admittedly interested in fate and all of this but you didn't know you were actually writing about that which is funny because I I read it and that felt to me like such a strong a strong theme but yeah fate being sort of a little bit of a trickster I feel like we're saying here this is this is another angle on fate um so interesting um well, another thing I want to talk about uh, is from your dedication, which I love. You wrote, for my parents, my sisters, and the many women who held my broken pieces. And you elaborated on that in an Instagram post that you did for International Women's Day about all these the women in your life who have done just that for you who have who have held your pieces which i thought was so beautiful so i'd love to hear more about it and and why it was so important for you to write about the power of female friendship
1: it was something that was so like i don't know how to write a female character who doesn't rely on other women because i don't know how to exist without relying on other women whether it's my mm-hmm. sisters or my mom or good friends like i just don't i wouldn't have survived up until this point without the women in my life And as I kind of explained in in this Instagram post that you mentioned, when I had my own kind of breakdown in a similar way to Adelaide's, I had a dear, a really close friend who texted me and said like, you've got to hold my pieces and I've got to hold yours. It's the opposite of you jump, I jump. Like you live, I live. And Mm -hmm. she was experiencing a pretty tough time at the same time. And I just, that stuck with me and I remembered it and reminded myself of it so many times since. So when it came to the time when i had to write the dedication to the novel it was so obvious to me that this is who it would be dedicated to i had to dedicate it to my family my family has been supportive for forever and i love them but i also had to make sure that i was celebrating these women who have gotten me to this point just as adelaide kind of wouldn't have gotten to this point without the people and the women in her life and i really really borrowed pretty heavily from my own friends and my own relationships to craft these female friendships for adelaide and they're just such an important part of my story. And I felt like they had to be an important part of hers.
0: Ugh, what, a, what a gift. That's so great. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, sometimes we write the things that we want to see. And it's better when we're, we're drawing from yeah. the good stuff we have.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So we love to talk to debut authors, especially about their path to publication, because I feel like it's, it's fresher for you. And to tie it back to to my last question about fate, do you feel like there were any moments that felt fated or like this is just was just supposed to happen the way exactly the way it happened um on your path to publication, whether getting your agent, getting your book deal, oh, and your amazing editor, Sally Lotz, who I adore. so, yeah, did you have any of those moments?
1: I did. I love this question, so I I had a very unique path to publication, and I, I won't dive into all of it because it's a long story. Mm-hmm. But essentially, um, I wrote a piece for Vice in 2019 that got the attention of an editor over in the UK. And she reached out to me and said, I'm looking to commission a book kind of around these general themes. Is that something you'd be interested in? And I immediately called my friend, Hannah Orenstein, who mm is another author and was the only person I know who'd written a book at that point. And I was like, right, what do I do now? <laughs> and she was like, well, you know, I can send you a sample proposal. You're going to need to write a nonfiction proposal. So it'll look kind of like this. And you'll need an agent. And I just saw one tweet today and say that she was looking for a book kind of along the lines of, of what this editor is looking for.
0: Okay, everything feels faded now. Go ahead. Yeah, go, seriously. Go, go. Yeah. It's yeah.
1: just like stars yeah. aligning. So I, the agent was Melissa Edwards. And I reached out to her and I reached out to a couple of other agents at the same time. But Melissa got back to me instantly. I had a phone call with her. I think I'd signed with her within a week um so wait it, what did you send her yeah, You just, I was just yeah. gonna say what had you written yeah. at this point so at that point i had written i spent the weekend and wrote like a mini 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 nonfiction proposal i think it was maybe five pages if got. Okay. um but because i had this editor's interest there was already like this reason for her to want to work with me and, yeah. and for us to work together on building a proposal mm-hmm. um that nonfiction proposal did not sell I spent a year writing it. And over the course of that year, I went through a lot of the same things that Adley went through. So it was a very challenging year to say the least. Yeah. And so it went on on submission in in January of 2020. We knew by about March that it probably wasn't going to turn into anything. And she called me and I remember I was sitting in my office and it was the last day that I would spend in my office a week later. Oh gosh, yes, that's right. (laughs) Right. And she was like, right you know, do you have anything else up your sleeve? Is there anything else you could write about? And I said, well, I've had this kind of crazy year. I've got some journal entries. Maybe I could, could like, pull some stuff together from that. And then, as I said, like, immediately thereafter, the world shut down. So I had, I was privileged enough to be in a position where I had time. I didn't mean that I was homeschooling children or, you know, working a million hours a week in a hospital mm-hmm. so I took all of the time that I would ordinarily spend out at dinner with friends or yeah whatever and just channeled that into writing time and then we went out on submission in March of 2021 and after Sally read Adelaide in 24 hours and got mm-hmm. back My to gosh. us and I immediately just had a wow. great feeling I yeah stalked the editors that we were going out to do beforehand and yep. I think her Twitter bio said something about like being a, a Parisian, like by way of Baltimore, and I just remember thinking, like, oh my gosh, same, like we're, yes. we're the same person. <laughs> exactly.
2: um,
1: and yeah, it was it was really just like lightning striking, and oh, we had a couple other terrific. editors who were interested, which was lovely. But I knew from the get go that like Sally was my girl, and and that's how yeah. it turned out.
0: Uh, I love that. I also love to hear people talking about because I don't I don't love to hear that you went through the experience of having a book that didn't sell but it happens so much oh, yeah? I, oh. I had same experience myself so I feel like people don't always talk about it even though a lot of people have them have them have that experience yeah, yeah. That's and I it's
1: funny because I'm so grateful in retrospect that that book didn't sell. See, yeah, because I think, yeah, mm-hmm. like it wasn't again, going back to fate. It wasn't the one that was meant to come yes. out. It wasn't the book I was meant to write. Like this was yeah, the book I right. was meant to write. I
2: so. oh, love that. Mm-hmm. Love that. Oh, well, this is just leading so nicely into my question about the stars aligning. Um, if you listen to us, you know, we have a bit of an obsession with astrology on here. And I believe you're a Pisces. I am a am I right? Yes, we do a little stalking. Um, this just seems so perfect for you. I know, um, obviously, they're they're very emotional, water signs, dreamers. So it, do you relate to being a Pisces? Because it seems pretty, pretty right on for me.
1: I do. I do. I'm definitely a Pisces. I'm a Pisces, and I'm a Leo rising, I think. Okay. Okay. Um, which makes sense, because I feel like I – Love a moment in the spotlight. Like can't Ugh. can't get enough of that. But yeah, at the same yeah. time, I think I'm I'm definitely like a watery, emotional, empathic that re- kind of person, I hope at least.
0: That reminds me of a line. Oh, I don't know if I marked it. Oh yeah, at twenty-two years old, Adelaide Williams was a disaster. Not at a glance, right? Like that is like Leo's gonna present as perfect yeah. and inside watery Pisces is tumultuous and choppy and oh I love that that makes it even I love that
1: I love that you remembered that yeah that's like yeah it's that same kind of thing it's that yes. like I can present it's totally fine but internally like Goodness knows what's
2: going on there.
0: So much else yeah. going
2: on. Yes, because that's your rising sign. So that is how you present to people. And you gave us Adelaide and Rory's birthdays. So, so was that on? I, whenever an author does that, I just want to know whether it was on purpose and whether you any part of their astrological sign factored into mm-hmm. your writing of them.
1: I. So
2: I'll be honest. I can't remember when their birthdays are. Oh, my God. So I think they're, I wrote their Are they Aquarius. I think they're, okay. in, yeah, yes, yes. But I don't have the dates, but um, it's on page 132. Yeah, they're uh, they're January
1: into, they're January. At the end of. Yeah. Yeah, they're January like a few six sanctuary. days apart. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. Okay. So clearly it did not factor.
1: Well, no, no, I was going to say, it's funny because I couldn't remember what I did, but I remember looking at the sign beforehand and making sure and you're that it like, did factor in, yep. but I couldn't I couldn't go. remember when I'd actually given their birthdays because I, uh, I think in an funny. earliest draft I had my own birthdays, Adelaide's, and I was like, no, too close, too close. We gotta yeah. give her yeah. them some um, right,
0: right, right, right. Rebecca Mackay said she didn't think about it, and it was in the Great Believers, I think, but it was a reference to the like uh, the birthday month, and she was like, oh no, that makes him like, what, did she was it I, that makes him Malio, so I can't make Malio. I got to change it to Gemini or something. It was mm-hmm. funny that yeah it's yeah. almost to Kate's point it's almost never um supposed to be indicative but we always are looking into it
1: <laughs> yeah I wanted I remember wanting to make sure that they were the same sign whatever it was mm. because they're kind of like two sides of the same coin in, yeah. a, in a few ways mm-hmm. they're obviously very different characters but they had these kind of similarities and I wanted that to be another reason that that Adelaide could feels- look at it and think that it was faded yeah
0: yes yes absolutely that's right yeah um But as we know, you're more than your. they're way more than your sun sign. There's so much else going on in there. Um, Okay. We always end our interviews with asking what you're loving right now. Any books that you're reading, shows that you're watching, uh, anything that you're just totally obsessed with right now.
1: So I am so obsessed with Daisy Jones and the Six.
0: Ah, the show. Mm
1: -hmm. The show. I was the last person Mm -hmm. in the world to read it. Um, I've read a few other (laughs) Taylor Jenkins read books, but I hadn't read Daisy Jones. And so I read it before the show and then watched the show. And now I've like ordered the record. Like I've made it my entire oh my personality. Um, I love I'm that. Also, <laughs> I made it I'm my personality. <laughs> I did. I really did. My boyfriend comes home and he's like, really? You're watching this again? <laughs> like, yes. But I am. And then I'm uh, We thought the
2: last two episodes oh, were oh just my amazing. So good. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. good. I cried I could... at
1: the end of the book. I cried at the end of the series. It gets me every time. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then reading wise, I'm actually, it's taken forever to read this because I was finishing my second book and then I got COVID. So I've been really a slow reader. But um, Rachel Capelcy Dale wrote another book called The Fortune Seller that I'm I'm hopefully going to blur. Oh. So I'm reading that right now and it is fantastic.
0: She wrote The Ballerinas. She wrote The Ballerinas and she wrote The 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 Ingenue. ingenue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Um, This is a third book. Holy cow.
1: It's also, I feel like you, you guys would be very into it. It's not quite like astrology but there are a lot of like tarot cards a lot about i just feel like it could be up your alleys yeah oh
2: look at i'm like nodding my head vigorously that. um that definitely sounds up our alley and so now since you mentioned finishing your second book any little hints or timing yeah, anything. or you could
1: share timing i have no idea about because i have taken a million years to write it so, and it's it's messy right now so it's going to take a lot of edits and a lot of work I have no doubt but it's very different from Adelaide in that it's completely completely fictional so I didn't really pull from myself in the same way which I think is one of the reasons it was so challenging to write yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. but it's about two best friends it's set in Paris it's a little bit more commercial than Adelaide a little bit lighter um, but still deals with themes like grief and female friendship and a little bit of fate here and there and kind of expat adventures. So hopefully there'll be something in there for, for readers of Adelaide to grab onto.
0: Oh, I love that. Oh And was it was challenging because I just feel like second books are challenging, right? Like it's
1: They are challenging. Yeah. Especially so my, my deal was a two book deal. I was really fortunate in that sense. But I think at the same time, when you're writing a book, and you don't have a deal attached to it, there's no pressure. Yeah, there's no deadline. Yeah. You know, you're just writing to write. Whereas this was was my job for the last year. And for that yeah. reason, I was
2: just horrible at doing it. Right. But- my- I mean, it sounds terrifying. That. Yeah, my agent to me. warned me gonna tell about me.
0: that. She was like, because I got a two book deal too. And she's like, you know, some people feel a lot of pressure, some people. And I was like, no, I'm a lawyer. Like I'm good with deadlines and, but it is different.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, I'm a lawyer. I'm good with deadlines. It sounds terrifying. Yeah, it, yeah. Just, every time an author talks about it, I'm just like, I get like freaked out for them. But I said, I'm going to live, I'm going to have like Corinne share with me her terror, although she doesn't seem terrorized yet, but we're not there yet. Yeah, we're way too early. But I trust, I think there are just, like, I'm very
1: much a, people talk about being a mood reader. I'm a mood writer. Mm. I'm not like, I'm not going to wake up at 5am and write every morning and consistently get words on the page. And I think some people are like that, and that works brilliantly for them, but because I'm, Mm -hmm. like, I gotta be in the right headspace for it, it just made it a little bit more Mm -hmm. challenging. But I think I think you'll be fine. It'll yeah. be smooth. I always
0: question the Which, people who just sit down and write at 5 a.m. Like, are they actually getting there any faster? Or is it just that they're they writing? They yeah, No one knows, yeah. but – No um, one knows. Yeah. yeah, but I – do you think it gets a bad rap, the kind of mood writer, the person who needs to be in the mood? I mean, if you're going years and years not writing anything, if your whole life you wanted to write a novel and you've never sat down to write it, well, that, maybe that's, that's oh, a little yeah. too much with the mood – but I like to find a flow and that makes perfect yeah. sense with with your water mm-hmm. sign. So I love that.
1: Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. right.
0: Well, Genevieve, thank you so much for joining us. We've loved chatting with you. Congratulations on already the buzz and the excitement that, that is around this book. It's really cool.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. It's been so lovely to talk to you you both
2: of course thank you and good luck thank you we'll be watching thank you thank you i need it